Hello and welcome to the Somatic Movement and Mindset podcast with me, clinical somatic educator and founder of Total Somatics, Heidi Hadley. The Somatic Movement and Mindset podcast has been designed to help you gain a deeper understanding to how your mind and body work. You will learn about your amazing mind and body and why over time you can feel pain, recurring injuries and poor posture. Within this podcast, I will teach you why this doesn't have to be your future or the norm for you. Would you like to learn how to reduce pain, move freely and gain a new lease of life? Let's get started. Hello and welcome back. Now, just before we get started, if you're watching this on the Total Somatics YouTube channel, don't forget to like, share, subscribe and press the notification bell. So whenever a new episode is released, you're the very first to find out. Now, in today's episode, we have a very special guest. This guest has been on our podcast before, and she's actually one of the experts in our upcoming Menopause Summit. So if you haven't already registered, please go to totalsomatics.com forward slash menopause, and you will be be given all the details when the event starts. And it's not very long. It's only a week away now. Okay, so let me introduce our very special guest. So today we've got Diane Porterfield-Bourne, and Diane is a menopause nurse practitioner. So I'm going to give you a little bit of info, and I'm going to be looking at my paperwork, so excuse me if I'm not giving you full eye contact, but I just want you to know this detail about Diane, because she's pretty special. So Born to Care is a private nurse-led menopause service providing consultations and training. And Diane has run Born to Care for over 10 years, and she's been a registered nurse for over 35 years. Her consultations are predominantly online, therefore Born to Care can reach more women, and that means prescribing them HRT and arranging other investigations. Now, they're based within the UK, but they can arrange consultations all around the world. And some women prefer face-to-face appointments, and these clinics are based in Worcestershire and Shropshire, which is in the UK. And she writes and delivers training on all aspects of menopause, which has been delivered to NHS trusts, small and large international organisations. And Diane has a special interest in supporting neurodivergent or ND women. And many women will not have been assessed for things such as autism or ADHD or dyslexia, but have known for most of their life that something wasn't quite right. And many women have learnt to cope. That's until the menopause arrived. And the hormonal changes can be very significant, leading to more anxiety, depression, feeling less able to cope or understand why they can't deal with work and family life. And Diane's tailored individual consultations to help neurodivergent women feel safe and supported So she has these consultations and these trainings that help explore how menopausal symptoms impact neurodivergent women at work. And she also provides practical advice for managers and women who are diagnosed or undiagnosed with neurodivergence or ND, because she'll probably say ND a lot in our discussion today. So understanding female hormones, especially during the menopause, can help you work out if your symptoms are just menopause or possibly ND. And life or a combination of them all, HRT can make a significant improvement. And also, Diane discusses this in great detail, and we will elaborate on that today. 
And so she's been fortunate to have been supported by menopausal women all around the world, realizing that the inconsistencies in menopause care and education are there. So she really wants to lift the lid on this and really bring it to everybody internationally. So Born to Care is, is CQC registered. And Diane is a full member of the British Menopausal Society and Nursing and Midwifery Council. So after that wonderful introduction, I'd now like to introduce Diane to you. So welcome to the podcast, Diane. Thank you very much, Heidi. Nice to meet you and nice for everybody to be tuning in today. Yeah, and it's going to be fantastic because this in the, in the next week, um, we, on that weekend of the 17th, 18th, wherever you are living in the world of February 2024, we'll be doing our second year with the Menopause Summit, won't we? So as we get started today, Diane, can I just ask you, because it's so specific, this neurodivergent sort of subject, and why did you decide to go into this area for? Well, it started off, it was because a member of my family was diagnosed being neurodivergent, um, autism and ADHD. So I had to try and learn a lot about it to, to help them and for me to understand how to support them. So I spent a lot of time studying it. Um, and then I realised that as I was doing my menopause consultations, that a lot of women that I was seeing were sort of like displaying quite similar symptoms. And I realized that there were some combinations of things that just linked together. So when people were talking about sort of anxiety and stress and hormonal imbalances, sometimes it was very easy to sort their symptoms out with hormone replacement therapy, but also through having really in-depth discussions with them. And then other women, I couldn't help them as much. They were really, really struggling with their symptoms, very, very erratic. And I then started to think, well, maybe there's some hormonal imbalances with these particular women. Um, and I could then see that there were um, similarities between women that had um, ADHD and autism that learned to mask. So masking is like an ability to just sort of put on a, a camouflage, a, a pretense, a cover to um, go to work, to um, pretend to show the world that they're coping really well with their menopausal symptoms, when in fact inside they're sort of, they want to scream. They're really working really, really hard to look calm, professional and do their job. So these were just normal women. So I thought, well, hang on a minute. If this is how normal women, neurotypical women will just say, that don't have ADHD or autism or neurodivergence, if this is how they're coping, how on earth are women with a neurodiversity coping? And for me, it was a real light bulb moment. And that was about three years ago I had that. And then I realized that I've got to really help women that have neurodiversity um, going through the menopause. And so I then started to learn more about it and worked out how I could support people um, through my consultations and through education as well. Yeah, I mean, that when you were saying it before, you actually used the word like exhausting. I thought that is exhausting because you're putting on that public face. But underneath, you've got a lot going on and the turmoil. And like we've talked before, and I'm sure it'll come up in the menopause summit about how it's ma managing our stress because cortisol is just not great at the best of times. But during this period of time, it's it's not great at all. So that's really exhausting. I mean, there was one thing I was going to ask in it, and that's that... Um, you know, if, if somebody's watching this today and they've got a question, they're thinking, well, 
if that's the case, how do I know if I'm going through menopause or could it just be I've got ND or how do you differentiate that? Because obviously you've had that experience. You're seeing a lot of that. How can we differentiate that? Or maybe they're coming together. What kind of signs would you see? So when I assess women for menopause, the majority of women I see, they'll be fairly straightforward, stress and anxiety with life, family, work. On the whole, we can manage their symptoms and everything works out quite well. And then the other groups of women that I see that are very difficult to support with their symptoms. So it's quite obvious something's not quite right. They're very sensitive to um, hormonal changes particularly when they're stressed or when they're worried, but it's towards the latter part of their menstrual cycle. So this is predominantly for like perimenopausal women. So the last part of their cycle, the last 10 days before their period starts, they really have found that coping is incredibly bad. They just can't cope with anything. Um, lots of anger issues, mood, uh, mood swings, uh, poor sleep, tiredness, um, lack of coping, and really bad anxiety and depression. Um, and then I thought, well, something's not quite right here. They got very, they're very, very sensitive to these hormones. So then I realised, then I started to ask them a bit more, a few more questions. Have you had any um, um, premenstrual tension when you're a teenager? So yes or no. Any postnatal depression? Yes or no. Because we know that these are key indicators to things like um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So premenstrual dysphoric disorder is something that affects. Um, a percentage of women, and they do actually think that a lot of women um, are undiagnosed. They think that um, premenstrual dysphoric disorder is something that more women have, um, and it's a, a heightened sensitivity to progesterone. Um, and so there's that, it's between, does somebody have a neurodiversity, like, such as autism or ADHD, or does somebody have PMDD? And the answer is, it's only by thorough assessments with professionals, psychologists, psychiatrists um, that run certain foundations to support and analyse and assess women for um, autism or um, ADHD. But I can work out whether I think it's menopause because I can see that it will help a certain number of women and other ones aren't, I'm not helping quite as much as I should be. Or what I can do because there are other underlying causes to that. Wow I mean it's such a complex area isn't it I mean we people are only now talking about um, ND now um, and in some cases people might be finding out that their children or their adult children uh, are being diagnosed with it but how would you know that if you've got it too I mean because listening to that, people might go, well, I do feel a bit premenstrual and I am up and down with my hormones. How, how can I find out if it's just the hormones or if there's ND attached to it or, you know, that's influenced it really? Yeah. I mean, this is this is what where it gets quite complicated because there isn't an awful lot of research out there on female hormones because notoriously, I mean, very, very stereotypical here. But, you know, I'm 53, so I was born in 1970. But when, you, when I was at school, um, there wasn't such thing as neurodiversity. We had the naughty boys at school that were very um, aggressive and fidgety and couldn't keep still. And that's all we thought, you know, that they've got a problem. And that's all we sort of associated it with. Um, we, so we knew that there was an issue with like hyperactivity with boys, but nothing in girls. So 
the studies and all the um, assessments were all based on men, on males. So there's no evidence, no research, or very, very little until fairly recently on female brains and on female interactions. So all these assessments were for boys, were for men, and nothing for girls. And there was a long time they thought that the ADHD and, and autism things didn't actually affect girls at all, because girls are very, very skilled at hiding. So it's all part of the social cues that they hide how they feel. So say, for example, typical would be that a girl would be um, sitting on her hands. She might be daydreaming, staring out the window, doodling. But her legs, she might be kicking her legs really aggressively underneath the table. Um, and that's all part of it. But because she's very quiet and she's getting her work done, she wouldn't be noticed by the teachers. So that's the typical way how girls were undiagnosed and unrecognised. But the latest evidence in the UK um, by one of the websites, I think, staring back at me, is that they believe there's about 75% of women are undiagnosed ADHD. Goodness me. Massive. It's massive. And about 15 to 20% of, of people um, have a neurodiversity. So how many of these people are actually diagnosed? So my stance on this is that people that have a diagnosis, it's easier for me to support them because we know that they have a neurodiversity um, and I will tailor my consultations to however they want my support. Some people can't stare at the camera, so that's not a problem. If they, can tell, if they just tell me how I can support them, we'll do that. They can just look down, they can look up to the side, as long as they physically see their face, but they don't have to make eye contact with me. So understanding and knowing that they have a neurodiversity is fairly straightforward for me. And then I can tailor HRT and the consultation for them. But it's the undiagnosed people. And I think this is the crux of it all. How many women out there are undiagnosed, either neurodivergent or PMDD, um, that have struggled all their lives with different symptoms, mood swings, depression, tiredness, poor concentration, um, you know, irritability, feeling overwhelmed, um, mood swings, impulsive behaviour, um, and, and they've never been diagnosed. It's just been they've got mental health, and that's it, just been labelled. Now, they might have mental health as well as, we know that, but are they undiagnosed, maybe autism or ADHD as well? It's so interesting you say that. Um, have you found, though, if there's a resistance with some women wanting to get a diagnosis because of the lack of, you know, it's like going back years ago when people would talk about other subjects and there was almost a stigma attached to something because there was a lack of information. And do, do you find if there are women that are a bit anxious to go and get that diagnosis because it may impact in their employment or in other situations or, you know, if people are watching this around the world in other countries where they might have private health insurance and they, they're concerned, is it going to, and it probably won't, well, it's not going to do it, but is it going to impact my payments for my, my health insurance? Do you know what I mean? There's, because all yeah. of that will continue feeding into that anxiety and that overwhelm. Do you notice any of that at all? It's split. Um, it really is. It's very much on the individual and your personal circumstances. For example, a few weeks ago, and I'm not here to make any form of a diagnosis, whether it's PMDD or neurodiversity, I am not qualified to do that. But I'm picking up certain things that are making me think there's a possibility. 
And so I'm talking to people about some of the common symptoms and traits of it, and they're relating to that. Um, and then when I've said, would you be interested in pursuing this, just to see how would you feel about it? A couple of weeks ago, I actually saw um, two ladies um, on, on, on the same day. Um, then I had the same conversation. It was like, wow. And one lady was very receptive. She said, you know what? She said, I've known all along. There was nothing, something wasn't quite right with me. I've always known I didn't quite fit in. I always felt out of place. Didn't quite understand what it was. And she said, she was actually in tears because whatever I was saying, and I said, I'm so sorry. But she says, this makes perfect sense. So a lot of the time, it's the first time it's really made sense to somebody because they've never thought about it. They've never had a discussion with somebody. And I was talking at it from a menopause perspective about the fluctuations in hormones and HRT and her life and how she was coping with her life and her menopausal symptoms. But the one lady said, I'm definitely going to go and seek a diagnosis because I think knowing would really help me. She says, because now... I've got a stronger feeling that it could be this rather than anything else. But she'd known all along. But the other lady, she wasn't so sure. And I said, look, I said, and again, I said, I am not here to tell you you've got to do anything or make any form of a diagnosis, but give you the means to look and research this yourself and see what you think. And I do that with PMDD as well, so premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Um, so, you know, that's a severe fluctuation and sensitivity to the progesterone part of their cycle. So, again, I give people sort of like, you know, different kinds of websites to look at and to read about the effects of them. Um, but if I see there's that sensitivity there, then I always discuss um, postnatal depression, premenstrual tension. And then could it possibly be PMDD? And in fact, the one lady that said she was going to go and get some treatment or suddenly look and see if she could be diagnosed. I'd actually written on her notes from six months ago, query, query, PMDD on my notes, because I knew something wasn't quite right then, but she felt a lot better, and then suddenly she hit the floor again. So again, it's those extremes that people without things like maybe neurodiversity and, um, and PMDD don't quite get that extreme. It's a more of a gentle ride unless something really significant happens in your life but there's a bit of a difference and I spotted the difference in them and that's how I learned to tell the difference to think mm, something's not quite right here um but you know that that's how I worked that out do you know it's so sad though Diane isn't it that it's still an area that's untapped as you said there's very little research into it I mean thank goodness it's now being looked at but it made me quite feel quite sad when you were just telling me because I was thinking of all those women over the years that felt like, oh, am I going mad? You know, and these sorts of things because of the hormonal side of things. And we just didn't know any of no. that. And they would have had all sorts. They were probably given the most inaccurate labels because they just didn't know. It's actually quite sad. You know, you think for women, women put up, you know, we're always joking like with clients and things here saying, what women have to go through is incredible, really, isn't it? <laughs> you, you kind of wait for your period to start, then you've got the whole roller coaster during that period. And then when they come to an end, it still kicks off even more then. But add add ND into it or anything else. My goodness, it's um we, unfortunate we live now, but it, it just made me feel quite sad about all the ladies that have come before. And again, it's it's the fact that some healthcare providers would 
wouldn't be thinking about a neurodiversity, particularly in women, because women are so good at putting on a show, putting on that camouflage that they're coping. Well, to the outside world, they're coping. And I said, I see this with women with a neurodiversity are not. It's just how you cope during the menopause. And But if you think of having that added pressure of somebody with a neurodiversity, but if healthcare providers, you're going to see your, your, your doctor and they're dismissing it. So oh, you're a drama queen. Um, yeah. And that's what most people were just labeled as mental health, you know, anxiety. Yeah, that's all part of it, but it's not the cause of it. Um, and it's just have people having labels all their lives and not really understanding. And that's why getting diagnosis, you know, every piece of evidence I've read, it says that a diagnosis is life transforming because suddenly everything makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, with my relative, definitely, definitely, definitely. And it helps um, because you, you've got that level of understanding for, for everybody, you know, for the individual and, and everyone around. So work and, and, and things as well. But it's very individualized. It's how that person feels. So the one lady on the one, the one part of the day was very much, I'm going to go get a diagnosis. I'm definitely going to look into this and, and find out more. The other lady was very much, mm, I don't know. Um, but we know that something's not right and she knew something wasn't right because she was actually, she actually told me that she's learned to mask so well. And I was like, alarm bells were ringing as she was yeah. saying these words. She learned to mask so well. And her husband actually came in on the conversation. He said, she's been, she's been awful to live with. Um, oh, and I realized her, her blood estrogen levels had fallen. So because this is where the menopause part comes in, because her estrogen levels had plummeted, um, her ADHD, well, I say ADHD, she wasn't diagnosed with it, but that's what it felt like to me, potentially, that this had really come to the fore because her estrogen levels were so low. So I was addressing the estrogen levels of things for her. But her husband, she'd been really well controlled and the bloods three months ago showed that her estrogen was great. And then now her estrogen would had really dropped for whatever reason. And that's what I was there to change and alter and tweak and readjust it. But what it does, what estrogen does, it, it, it feeds into all the neurotransmitters within the brain. So your dopamines and your serotonins. So you can't have one without the other. Um, so estrogen helps increase dopamine receptors, serotonin. So we need all of those. And it creates the most wonderful environment to have this feeling of, of wellness and togetherness um, in your brain collective coping strategies. So when that goes, so estrogen had dropped, suddenly the dopamine receptors disappeared, serotonin had plummeted as well. That's why she was in crisis to me. And that's why her husband was saying, I can't cope with her. She was really angry and nasty towards him. And that's why I actually came in and said, I'm sorry, I've got to tell you this. And it's important that you know this is what I'm living with. And he was being very blunt with her. And she was like, yeah, I know I'm a nightmare to live with. I said, well, let's try and get to the bottom of this. So I said, your estrogen level's on the floor. Let's sort that out to start with. Um, and then I gave her lots of information to follow up um, as well. But the husband was there and he said, he was like, yeah, this is all making sense to me as well. She was rather overwhelmed because she wasn't in a great place because her estrogen was low. But she, it was a light bulb moment for her because... When she said about the masking, um, and, and, and she'd actually done that all of her life. And she started mm -hmm. talking about childhood and growing up and how she'd struggled with her mental health. 
And I thought, wow, this is wow. this is just two people I was seeing. If I look back now, there's stacks of women that I've seen, um, but I'm learning more and more and more about it. And I've been I've been studying this for three years now, um, but I'm becoming it's it's becoming something I'm becoming more and more involved with because I find it absolutely fascinating that I can understand about how the hormones work in our brains I can prescribe the medication I can arrange the blood tests I can teach and educate people on this and it's the whole package it's about that ultimate support and that's what people need and then obviously if we're thinking that there's possible neurodivergence they need to be assessed by the professionals you know the psychiatrists that and the psychologists that can assess, study, and potentially prescribe medications that can transform lives as well. I mean, you mentioned about like the drop in dopamine and serotonin. For anyone listening that's not sure, those two hormones are to do with like happy hormones, pleasure hormones. So when the estrogen levels drop, likewise those levels drop as well, don't they, Diane? And it just made me think that um, if if anyone's watching this that they might be asking themselves that they've had a life where they've had anxiety and mood issues um and really they just want to know that as they move forward towards the menopause again what should they do if they are going into that period what what will happen as regards menopause maybe adhd and their history of mood swings what what advice could you give i know that sounds a bit of a mashup but just wanting to put those together because we women are used to mashups of a lot of diagnosis of things but <laughs> how can we kind of extract them or how would you focus with somebody with historically with mood issues anxiety they may have the adhd they're moving into menopause uh, what would your approach be or what would you suggest it's sort of like multidisciplinary so the first of all is you should speak to a healthcare provider you talk about the menopause that you're probably on some medications for anxiety and depression as well so it's about for, for the majority of people it's not about stopping those it's about having some hormone replacement therapy as well as um and then getting the your hormone levels up so on all the evidence that i've read and all the uh the the, the research papers if you can take HRT, estrogen replacement is the key to improving your um, dopamine and your serotonin as your brain becomes flooded with estrogen and your coping mechanisms will be a lot better with estrogen than without them. So hormone replacement therapy is the key to this. If you can take it, the earlier, the better. And although we're not about over prescribing it, but what we're trying to say is that don't be afraid to um, increase your levels of hormone replacement therapy if you need them and it's about tailoring the whole of the um, HRT package to your specific symptoms um, and you know and, 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 and speaking to health professionals so it's a multidisciplinary so everybody will be feeding into it but there's so much you can do yourself to improve your mental health and well-being because suicide is highest amongst menopausal women and this was really quite frightening. There's a study from Dr. Sarah Cassidy that said undiagnosed autistic people have a higher risk of dying from suicide. And this is what I'm really, really concerned about are the people that aren't being diagnosed that have missed out. So people with significant mental health that we're just not picking up. Um, and these are the people that need some support. So 
Today, it's about raising awareness more of the undiagnosed, the potential undiagnosed autistic ADHD, a dyslexic. Is it that you've got premenstrual dysphoric disorder? They're so intertwined. All we can say is that if you've got premenstrual dysphoric disorder, you've got a higher incidence of having a neurodiversity as well. And if you've got higher, you've got neurodiversity, you've got higher incidence of having PMD as, as well. They're two, they're completely interlinked. And we haven't got enough knowledge at the moment to be pulling things apart. Um, but it's 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 really interesting that how the the sensitivity in we call it the luteal phase of the menstrual cycles, so that's about 10 days before your period starts. It's when the hormonal fluctuations of the progesterone and the estrogen, but the progesterone spikes and then, then everything falls down. But with PMDD, they realise that it does something to the brain. It's incredibly complex, but it's something that goes on the brain. People with PMDD, they have this very sensitive uh, reaction to progesterone within the brain that people with PMDD just do not have. And that's the difference with it. So again, it's differentiating between what's PMDD and what's, what's neurodiversity. And it's only these real specialists that may know, or we will never know, but we will treat with hormones uh, and assess how you feel with a level of understanding about hormone replacement therapy and what you can do personally to improve your own dopamine and serotonin levels as well. Mm. I was just going to ask this question here, Diane, and I know we've covered it in depth in our previous podcast, so I'm going to put the link in the show notes and things. But I just know that I, you know, because a lot of people still mention about the menopause summit from last year, and of course this year they're looking forward to it, and your discussion with me in the previous podcast. And even I was talking to a few people in the last week um, and saying that you were coming on the show and things like that. Yeah. But um, there's still all this thing about, oh, I don't want to take HRT because of breast cancer. And I thought, is it possible just to mention a little bit about that? Because that yeah. could be still feeding their anxiety with the whole, I don't want to take hormones. I don't want breast cancer. I don't want this. Is that all right just to clear that up? And I know you've mentioned it before, but I thought it would just be really good if that's an anxiety or a concern with somebody now. Absolutely. So um, this stemmed back from some research happened in 2002, 2003, 2004, um, the Women's Health Study and the Million Women Study. So what happened, they did some research. It's predominantly it was an American study on older women um, and they were given the oral forms of estrogen and, and the equine. So they were um, they weren't body identical HRT. So it was a very older version of HRT they realized that there was some kind of, well, they spotted a link and uh, that these women would have higher incidence of breast cancer. So the research wasn't um, conducted properly. It was literally stopped about maybe half, two thirds through, something like that. Um, and then it was leaked to the world that HRT gave you breast cancer. And that was the end of it. That was the end of menopause, the end of HRT for many, many years. And that's where the lack of education comes in. Uh, women have just been getting on with it. But over that time, people have actually pulled these research papers apart, piece by piece. And it's fascinating reading. But the end of the day is the fact that there are far more benefits to having estrogen than there are without it. And the more I read about estrogen, I'm reading it a lot. It absolutely blows my mind with the scope of what it can do. It helps with musculoskeletal pains. It helps with brain fog. It helps uh, prevent heart disease and stroke. It helps strengthen your bones. 
um, it improves your quality of life, it reduces all of your menopausal symptoms. Um, and so it's about replacing the hormones directly. So it stems back from these studies that they know were flawed. But what they've done since then is they've pulled out some amazing statistics that show things in a very positive way. So there were massive studies and they've since then they've really pulled out some great studies with it. We know so much more because of those studies, but in a very positive way. That's brilliant. And thank goodness for the research and just moving forward. And sometimes people can just latch on to something and it can it's like Chinese whispers sometimes and it just gets yeah. a bit more it elaborates all the time. I was just gonna say if we go back again so we're going to go back into the nd side of things and, and that i've got a question and that's like if somebody's um asking this that they've got um they might be like perimenopausal um, and they're also waiting their adhd assessment um what are menopausal symptoms and what could be adhd okay so menopausal symptoms your, your classical vasomotor symptoms your hot flushes and your night sweats so those are the two classical ones and they affect about 75 to 80 percent of people so the majority of people will have those but then it's more that things have worsened so if you have had adhd all of your life which of course you will because it's, it's it's a neurodevelopmental disorder you're born with it so you've had it ever since you were born it's just the way it changes in people so the menopausal symptoms will be something quite new because you've already had your potential neurodiverse symptoms all your life. So what has suddenly worsened? What has suddenly changed? So, you know, you might have always been a, a pretty bad sleeper, but crikey, over the last six months, your sleep is just dreadful. Why? What's changed? So, you know, and then it's things like, you know, hair loss, um, dry, itchy skin, urinary tract infections, low libido, uh, brain fog, complete and utter exhaustion um those are the kinds of classical menopausal symptoms palpitations and uh, numbness to your fingers and hands like i said the musculoskeletal conditions um aches and pains are really significant with women um due to lack of estrogen because we have estrogen receptor cells all over the body um and so this is why estrogen replacement therapy for people that can take it it should be first line choice and in the uk um the uh, the nice guidelines which are the guidelines that health professionals follow it's 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 first line treatment for uh, for menopause as it currently stands um but it's it's very much choice you know as health professionals when they're nice like you've got to do anything but it's about getting that balance because like you said there's so much oh maybe uncertainty about the hrt but when you speak to people that understand healthcare, that understand hormones, that understand pharmacology, that understand the research, we've been studying this for years, then we understand what it is and how we can support people. So what would you say, so that's like the menopausal symptoms, what would you say ADHD? So again, people can see there's the difference there. I mean, that's this yeah. huge subject. I think mainly for like ADHD, it's more the fact that your coping strategies have fallen apart, literally in front of your eyes. So again, being very stereotypical, so not offending people, but as a woman, we're so used to spinning plates and we keep those plates spinning, work, children, home, relationships, shopping, emailing, working, looking amazing, going to work, sorting kids out, going to the hospital for operations, carry on spinning those plates. 
what happens in um with women that things like neurodiversity such as adhd is that you can't spin those plates anymore that inability you become um maybe attention deficit hyperactivity um you you just your your coping strategy just falls apart you become very very overwhelmed with things can't cope you take the eye off the ball and you stop those plates from spinning and suddenly it all comes crashing down so mood swings impulsivity tiredness very very anxious um and then things like things like autism you know it's more the sensory things um and you become completely overwhelmed maybe you've you've managed to cope pretty well with your autism symptoms you've got your own mechanisms for dealing with them um very rigid most autistic people have got very rigid guidelines they don't like change again i'm being very stereotypical not everybody's the same but they don't like change they like they like um they like to know what's happening and when so when their hormones are changing suddenly they're late for work because they overslept because they're exhausted that's not them the whole of the day then they've missed their bus <gasps> you know and it sets that you know it might be that people that don't have a neurodiversity well i'll just get the next one but that could be a really big thing for somebody and then adding that anxiety as well the fact you're gonna be late for work you might have missed a meeting you're all flustered you're anxious you're stressed so as your cortisol goes up that impacts on your progesterone as well. So if you're mid, if you're mid cycle or or just about to start your period, when your progesterone is at its worst possible time, that progesterone spike as as cause that sudden change in the brain activity, and the bigger the cortisol just fuels that, then you know you can see how this happens. And like I said, suicide is the one thing that I think we need to be really, really aware of, because this is something that I spotted, I was talking to some researchers about this a few months ago, is that if, if um, you know, undiagnosed neurodiversity, autism, um, is about 85%, um, then, you know, what are we doing about it? High risks of suicide. So with women that have either a neurodiversity or undiagnosed PMDD, their risks of suicide are really quite high. So if there's about, um, a, you know, if the highest rates of suicide are in menopausal women and undiagnosed women are at the high risk of taking their own lives, as well as women with PMDD, then we need to be addressing this and we need to find out more about the, the causes of it and how we can support them. But making people aware that if they are really, really struggling with their mental health, particularly during the menopause, when those estrogen levels are fluctuating and predominantly falling, their dopamine, the serotonin will be falling as well. All their coping strategies will be falling apart. It's a domino effect. Once one starts, everything else will start to fall apart and unravel. And so it's, it's, it's our responsibility as health professionals to say, what's going on here? And reaching out to people and giving them support that they need and looking at what are the causes of this is it purely just the menopause or do we have menopause with underlying either pmdd or neurodiversity wow i was, I was going to say you know because of this and even the conversation of suicide is it's very very good that we're talking about it because it's it's again that's another subject that's had a bit of a taboo stigma over it over the years so it's really good lifting the lid on this as well um but you know with um nd 
do you see it following through the generations like from the grandma to the mother to the daughter because you know you'll hear people go well my mom i asked my mom how she went with her menopause and she sailed through it or she had a terrible time they might be the same or it might be different but is there a generational thing with nd which of course we didn't know before what what have you picked up with that well it's there's a genetic link they don't understand about the genetic link but there's a genetic link so basically it's passed on within families so if you just look at your wider family if you know somebody has a neurodiversity um, or you strongly suspect that's what it is. I think it's better if, if people have a diagnosis and then you start to look at the wider family. Um, it can skip generations. That's what some of the evidence is saying. But there will be members of the family that you will then think, oh, yeah, I remember that Uncle so-and-so had this or, or, or my grandmother was, was like this, maybe something quite similar well, that's that sounds like my grandmother she was she 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 felt like that she had she had, she responded um during the menopause um like that as well so you will start to see things um when you start to look at your your wider family because it is passed on genetically so like i said but they just don't know what exactly how exactly but it definitely runs in families so if you've got one child that's got a neurodiversity there's a lot there's a, a i think it's don't quote me on this because i'm not a specialist in this area but there's around about a 50 percent chance that another member another sibling will have a neurodiversity as well goodness me so we really are on the cusp of something here aren't we you know this is really going to yeah. explode yeah. in the next few years a lot more research into this thankfully as well um yeah. i just wanted yeah. to ask a question and that is um how can hrt help with menopausal symptoms and also ND traits. Okay, so the the ND treat, traits, there are some very specialist ones. So things like um, ADHD, it's more about impulsivity and extreme mood swings, increased anxiety, low self-esteem, um, and then just general coping strategies. And then the autism side of things, it's more about um, the, the, the needing certain predictabilities. So the, the autistic ones aren't quite so evident during the menopause again i'm not a specialist in this but i'm just focusing my knowledge and understanding around the menopause but it's the adhd women that we're realizing there's a lot of women that are undiagnosed when they hit the menopause so it will be that their symptoms will be that unpredictability they're um they, they can't cope like they used to now all women will have a feeling that they can't cope like they used to but it's like going between one and a hundred. So like some people might just be like, you know, between naught and 30. Oh, it's not too bad. But yeah, it just makes some, some tweaks and adjustments. But somebody with ADHD or potentially ADHD, they won't know that's what it is. And everything is so much more extreme because they've just about managed to keep everything together because they mask. You know, masking is, is what neurodiverse people do to show the world or camouflage to show the world that they're coping so that massive it's like going for an interview you know if you imagine that you're going for an interview and you've got your best clothes on you're sitting up straight you're smiling you're being polite you're just trying to show your best side just maybe for that hour that you're into the interview and then you run out thinking, oh my goodness that's over but if you can imagine that you've got that pretense that camouflage that acting um of a, of a, to cover something that you don't want other people to see a side of you um, that was going to be incredibly stressful. So tiredness, extreme exhaustion, 
um, will be significant symptoms. But again, you get that with the menopause. But this is more extreme with the other things going on as well. Like I said, when I'm assessing people, it's I can tell what somebody's just classical menopausal symptoms. Um, and then it's a case that something just doesn't sit quite right. Something's telling me something. Um, and that's from starting to ask them more key questions about, you know, possible PMDD or possible neurodiversity. But I'm not here to diagnose any of these. It's really for me to try and get an understanding of, oh, this is why they're not responding to the hormones. And then talking to them about possible causes and giving them the information to make decisions themselves. So it's the symptoms. Yeah. Oh, sorry, carry on. Carry on. So just really, it's the symptoms of menopause for women that possibly have got PMDD or, or neurodivergence, that they're just exacerbated and they're just not coping as well as somebody that didn't have possibly neurodiversity. Um, so we're all different. And again, somebody that doesn't have it might have a, you know, something really significant that happens in your life and yeah, everything falls apart, but you've got better coping mechanisms um, because your serotonin and your dopamine levels are within a normal range. But when you have ADHD, your dopamine receptors are less. Um, and so the lack of estrogen, the lack of dopamine receptors means that you're not coping, you have an exacerbation of your symptoms. Wow. Because would you say, and again, I, I'm assuming you probably just say go and speak to your healthcare practitioner, although they, we don't really know a lot about this stuff at the moment. But it just makes me wonder how many people have been misdiagnosed with like chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia. Whereas when you've already mentioned, you know, the, the, the pain, the aches and the pains of the joints, it gets it gets more intense, the exhaustion, the depressive anxiety, low mood. A lot of that can be misdiagnosed for chronic fatigue or fibro. Yeah. Um, there's there's um, um, a, a psychologist or psychiatrist in the Netherlands called Dr. Sandra Kofi. I can't quite remember her name. I'll have to try and get it out for you. Um, but she is one of the world leaders when it comes to ADHD and women and hormones. Um, and her research is amazing. And she talks about this a lot. Um, and it's a fact that, you know, we, we just really need to, 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 to do a lot more research about it. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow, Diane, you've really opened my eyes today. I'm sure everyone listening to this has. Um, crikey. I mean, you know, you even go away and you. I'm starting to reflect now and all listen back to this episode and think, oh, you know, because you do start thinking to yourself when you think of the fluctuations, because when you mention that percentage, that's a high percentage of women that are that are undiagnosed, aren't they as well? Wow. But if you think back, like I said, I remember being at school and it was the fact that, you know, it just wasn't, you weren't assessed, you weren't diagnosed. So people of my age that are now in the, in the throes of menopause, you know, in their early 50s, they were never picked up, never diagnosed. So they've probably just been labelled as having mental health and never really looked into this. But because I'm a menopause nurse practitioner and I'm focusing on menopause, HRT, hormones, but I've got a real special interest in supporting women with neurodiversity that have a diagnosis, but those that potentially are undiagnosed. And these are the women I want to reach out to. I want to see how many women out there um, that either have uh, are diagnosed or undiagnosed, but they're just not coping. Um, yeah. And this, this is all over the world. I actually had a consultation with a lady in Canada 
um, a, a couple of months ago because she wasn't getting the help with her menopause. She suspected she got ADHD, um, but um, she wasn't getting any help with her menopause. So I gave her, had a consultation with her and I explained the importance of estrogen. And she says, nobody here is, 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 is aware of this. I'm not getting any support for it. And she was really struggling with her mental health. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, so much that we need to do and be aware of this. But this is something that I'm very keen to um, push, uh, promote, encourage, educate. And it's reaching out for women that if they think they are, they do potentially have something like neurodivergence. Like I said, I'm not here to any, make any diagnosis, but menopause is one of those life events where everything falls apart, like when your periods start, postnatal depression, um, and when periods end. And this is the point that I can come in and say, right, let's look at your menopausal symptoms with all these other women that I've seen, things that work out fairly straightforward, fairly normal, and people that don't, and something's not right. And that's my experience as a nurse assessing this. Something doesn't sit right. Something's telling me it's not, something needs adjusting, some, you need another diagnosis. And these are the women that I'm talking to about other things as well. And it's very much, it's fairly clear for me, um, it's quite easy to spot these people um, yeah. that it's not quite right um, because I just have to read through their information, their symptoms, how severe their symptoms are, when their symptoms are happening, what's triggering it, what's working, what isn't. It's like, mm, okay, something's not sitting right here. And that's when I'm thinking there's a possibility of potentially PMDD or a neurodivergence. Wow. So because you speak to people internationally, Diane, um, I'll make sure that in the show notes attached to this episode, there'll be lots of ways that they can connect with you. But how could they connect with you? Because, you know, obviously you and I are talking from the other side of the world, but you do see people internationally online. How can this work um, on an international basis as well as within the UK? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I support people in Europe as well. So obviously I can only prescribe medications if you actually live within the United Kingdom. But having a consultation with somebody, it doesn't matter where you are, it's just having internet um, and I, you just need to register with me. So it's contacting me, um, which you put the email address up, but it's born to care. And I'm um, getting in touch with me to book a consultation. We send you lots of um, information, really discussing about your symptoms, your past medical history. And then with that, I can go over your symptoms and through a consultation that then we can start to work out. But some, most often in the early stages, it's not that obvious. Um, it's then sort of like once we get you on hormone replacement therapy or maybe you're not on the right hormone replacement therapy and a lot of people aren't on the right hormone replacement therapy. So I'm often adjusting and tweaking and changing around until it's right for them. Then we can really evaluate, well, okay, well, you should be feeling a lot better now. So why aren't you feeling better? what's going on if nothing significant has happened um then i can see by their symptoms why their symptoms so significant so people can contact me online and we can do an online consultation we can write to your doctor wherever you are in the world it doesn't make any difference as long as they have an email address either to hand email to you or to your family practitioner we can do that. Most people abroad, it's just emailing the uh, the GP letter, I call it, um, so they can take it to their own health provider, saying that what we've discussed, and because I'm CQC registered, you know, I am 
competent and registered to advise, prescribe and diagnose and manage menopause. And I'm registered to do that. So, you know, I'm fully qualified and competent and I'm accountable for what I do. And that's the difference being a health provider is that it's the accountability. Um, I haven't done a, you know, a, a short online course in menopause. I've studied this for absolutely years and healthcare as well. So people know then that I'm qualified and competent to do that. And I can support them for as long or as short as they want. There's one lady that's um, that um, has autism and she tried to go back to her GP, um, but she came back to me. She said, Diane, she says, I'm just not getting the support. So I'm, I'm still supporting her to prescribe for her because she knows that I understand her and I know what to do. And I tailor consultations. So we always have a bit longer because if you've got um, a neurodivergence, maybe there's maybe some issues with confidence. Um, maybe that you're late. A lot of ladies um, forget the appointment. and They're a bit late um, coming because it's again, you know, it's all part of it. If they're not coping, they can, they've yeah. completely forgot uh, because of their dis they're just quite disorganized. Oh gosh, I've got to go back to that. So it's about tailoring to you. Um, and that's the difference, really. We just tailor the consultation to meet your needs and address what you want me to address. Listening, talking, what's really going on? What do I really help you with today? Is it your relationship that's falling apart? Is it the fact that work pressures? Is it the fact that you've got your own mental health issues and you really don't like the person that you are? You've lost yourself. You've lost your identity, which is really common during the menopause. All that feeds into your mental health. It really does. But speaking to the right health professionals is life changing. It really is. I see it every day. So it's just getting the right help. Don't suffer. Don't suffer because you don't have to. Well, Diane, it's so lovely to hear that. It's so reassuring. And I'm sure there'll be people watching today and probably bringing up quite a few emotions because you know what, you are resonating with them. And you just mentioned that last example, how you can still go and see a healthcare practitioner, but you just don't get their support. You know, and a lot of that is, well, maybe there's other stuff that needs to be addressed with them, um, not being able to um, move forward with the research and things. But hey, that's, the, that's another story altogether. But it's actually nice to know that there is support there. There's a support network. They can reach out to you. Um, because yeah they're just not getting heard but hopefully everybody that's listened to this today and please if you are watching this or listening to it please share it on as much as possible because diane and i were talking um sort of off camera as well as on camera about the importance of highlighting this the neurodiversity side of things the suicide which is massive absolutely huge just to to really to lift the lid on this um because you mentioned something diane which has come into other discussions in sort of research and medical books and stuff is for many years it was all male orientated wasn't it even all the anatomy books it was all the anatomy books were just were kind of designed or drawn a lot of the annotations and things it was all on the male body not on the female body and so it's almost like there's still an element of catch up there um and so it's really having to and i think the great skill or power or strength of women is we're great at communicating and so it's really just yeah. getting it out there to highlight this subject yeah. even more but when i've spoken about this in the workplace um i've only maybe the last year 18 months started to talk about this just a couple of slides from doing some presentations in the workplace about neurodiversity during the menopause and how if you have 
either diagnosed or undiagnosed um, ADHD, how the menopause impacts upon you. Um, and so it's about raising awareness within the workplace. And you know, the response has always been amazing. Not only just, you know, the managers and, you know, I had no idea how it would impact people with neurodiversity and how we need to support people. But people that are coming up to me either crying, saying, that's me, and I had no idea this was me. Or another lady came up to her and she went, she, she went, I can't believe you've been talking about this today. She said, my doctor's referred me for an ADHD um, assessment. I was like, wow. And she said, but that is how I'm feeling. That is me. It's got worse during the menopause. So it really is, it's getting the right information out there for people and understanding it. And that's what I'm, I'm so passionate about this because to me, this is such an injustice that people are struggling to cope with their mental health and well-being when with the right professional menopause support, they can feel better. And it's about teamwork. It's making sure that the right people are doing the, giving the right advice. Um, yeah. So, you know, your psychologist, your psychiatrist, you know, the proper assessments, robust assessments, um, and then to find out if you do have these or not. Um, sometimes you might never know or you might not want to know, but it's about choice, but make sure it's all reputable um, services that you're going to. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much, Diane. So what I wanted to say to everybody again is you can check everything about Diane in the show, no show notes and wherever you're watching this in the world, she's still there for you. She just can't prescribe any medication outside the UK. Can you? That's yeah. the, uh, the main thing, but she's a wonderful support. And I can imagine Diane, when you're not being listened to elsewhere with your beautiful um, manner, you know, and it just through the airways, you can imagine how when somebody just has not felt heard for a long time, when they start to talk to you, it puts everything to place, doesn't it? And um, thank you so much for doing what you do. I know, I'm sure on behalf of everyone watching and listening to this, we really appreciate everything that you're doing and you continue to do to raise awareness for it. So thank you so much. Now, just before I kind of sign off and we finish, is there any takeaway points or anything that we haven't discussed that you want to bring out to everybody at the moment? I think if you are suspecting that you could possibly have a neurodivergence, um, then write a diary. So a diary of your symptoms, the time, if you're still having periods, then to write down like a diary of your symptoms, that's probably the key one really. And then you need to be focusing on the menopause. What's your main menopausal symptoms? Are your periods regular? Are there members of your family that have a neurodivergence? Do your children have a neurodivergence? Then, you know, there are family links. We know that. And then it's about getting some support. And it's not overthinking, not overworrying about things, which is all part, part of neurodiversity. But it's about taking ownership of it and don't let it control you because the menopause is about lack of control. So the lack of control has a massive impact on people with ADHD and autism in particular. So it's about taking some ownership of it, going right, I'm gonna go and get this sorted out. And if you're not having any luck with one type of health professional, then just keep going and explaining how you're feeling. But do your own research, please look at my website. I've did, I did a blog for January, all about um, neurodiversity during the menopause. It's not as detailed as what we've discussed today, but it just gives people a bit of an idea of what's going on really. And to contact me if anybody wants um, advice or consultation to email me um, and we can do that. No matter where you are in the world, I can do a consultation. But if you live in the UK, I can prescribe HRT for you as well. But I will always write to your doctors 
um, or certainly write a medical letter to you to give to your doctors to say what we've discussed, what we've advised and what I've been thinking um, and where to go from there. So it's about a nice plan to move things forward so that you don't you do feel that you are in control. And I think that's so wonderful that you will provide that letter. It gives them some power and strength to go forward, knowing they've got somebody in their corner um, yeah. that can talk the medic time, you know, the medical kind of terminology to their doctor. And then it's actually just going to have a ripple effect because the doctors will probably hopefully start reading up and researching that little bit more. And maybe they'll reach out to you and then you can you can um, help them out. So it, it's this is a. a huge impact it could have globally fantastic diane absolutely yeah. wonderful that's great so, so i just want to let everybody know again because my goodness what an action-packed fantastic episode this has been um if you want to join the menopause summit it's free to register it's free to watch and if you can't watch it live or you can only watch snippets of it if you've registered for the the menopause summit then you will get the replay and that will be available to watch for a few days after the event so again, Diane is going to be there. She's going to be covering this subject again, aren't you, Diane, in, in greater detail? Yeah. Well, yeah. this is a lot of detail we had today. So adding on to all of this. So this is a wonderful um, add-on to what the Menopause Summit will have. But if you go to totalsomatics.com forward slash menopause, when you click on that page, you will see the order of events that's happening and you have the opportunity to leave your email address there. So what you will see is that Diane is actually going to be first up on that um, that running list because we are holding this. It's an international event. We've got Diane that's going to be from the UK. Then we've got somebody on the west coast of of america then we've got somebody in canada then we've got somebody in sydney and then there's me so there's a, that we're all over the place so because of the times we've allowed it to make it convenient for everyone so diane will be first off and that means it will be in the uk the saturday night of the 17th of february but the afternoon for people in north america and everywhere else in between and for the southern hemisphere it will be a bright and early start for me at 6 30 a.m on the sunday morning of the 18th so it would be wonderful if you can join and if you do the opportunity is you can leave your questions there in the chat box um, and then diane can be there to cover the questions and all the other experts as well as the event happens so you can actually in real time get questions um, answered by Diane and, and everybody else. So it will be really good. It went really well last year, didn't it, Diane? And looking forward to it again yeah. this year. Yeah, I'm yeah. really looking forward to it. And again, what you've just said, if people can actually leave questions ready that they want me to answer, I'll do my best, but I will answer some of them for you. Because that's really important because these, these are real things. And the one thing about the Menopause Summit last year that, that really shocked me was that women, no matter where they lived in the world, we're speaking to people from Canada and Australia, they're still experiencing the same symptoms, the same issues that people are in the UK as well. It's a worldwide issue that women just are not getting the support uh, and the acknowledgement and the, um, the, the managing their menopausal symptoms um, in, in the right way. So yeah, knowledge is power as they say. So yeah, that's what we're going to be doing at the Menopause Summit. So I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm kicking it off. I think I, I start at eight, I think it's eight o'clock on Saturday, the 17th. I think, yeah, Saturday, that's, 17th of February. 
Fantastic. So I can't wait. So I'll be here with my nice green tea to start the day. So as you'll be then setting off to go to bed later, we'll be starting. It's wonderful, isn't it, the internet, how we can connect like this. It's absolutely marvellous. Oh, no. It's, it's, it's brilliant. It is crazy, isn't it? But thank you so much, Heidi. It's lovely yeah, to see you. And thank you for letting me explain about menopause and hormonal changes during the menopause. Oh, bless you thank you and thank you everybody for watching or listening today and i'm sure you um are with me and thanking diane so much for spending so much time we've taken into her evening so thank you so much diane hopefully you have a lovely sleep after this um, but yeah thank you everybody for watching and listening today and as always you know stay connected there's lots of ways you can stay connected but especially totalsomatics.com forward slash menopause come and join us it's going to be really good fun um, and it's only a week from now so next week Weekend. So see you soon. All my love and best wishes. Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining me today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and also forward this on to somebody you know will benefit. To learn more about pain relief plus how to improve your health and well-being, go to totalsomatics.com. Until next time, take care.